Hey, I'm Zach. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. I hope that it encourages you. I hope it challenges you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's Word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. And if you don't, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our community here at Restore, whether that's coming to one of our Sunday gatherings or coming to one of our Restore groups. Either way, we would love to see you. You can get more information about that on our website at RestoreAustin.org. And I hope you enjoyed this week's video. Uh, the second to last week of the um, Upside Down Kingdom series that we've been in. Uh, and next week, we'll wrap up the series with the story of the prodigal son. Um, it's a really, really great story. It's actually one of my very favorite stories in all of Scripture. Um, we'll, we'll do that, and like I said, it'll be the same day as the uh, kid dedication. Um, it's kind of funny, because we're basically saying, like, God help us raise kids that don't steal all of our money and go off to the faraway lands and squander it and then end up eating with pigs. And like, that's what happened to the prodigal son. So we're kind of doing that the same day. Um, that was unintentional. But uh, we'll work those in together. But this morning, we're going to be looking at the story of the workers in the vineyard. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. So you can go ahead and turn there if you have your Bible or your phone. Um, it'll also be on the screen behind me if we don't want to do that. Like, like many of you did, um, probably did, I spent a lot of the weekend watching March Madness, the NCAA uh, basketball tournament that's been on kind of 24-7 for the last three days. Um, we don't have to talk about our brackets, that's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think there's so much to love about this tournament, but one of my very favorite things is the reactions of the coaches when they feel like a call has gone against them. Right? Right? You know, you know what, what I'm talking about? about? Like, the referee, the referee makes a call, it doesn't help whatever team that person is coaching, and they just like lose their mind. Right? Right? They, they go nuts, they start yelling, sometimes they like rip their stoop jacket off real fast and throw it on the ground, sometimes they break clipboards. If you remember like the famous Bobby Knight got so mad that he actually took a chair from the bench and threw it at the ref. Um, that was a different time, but uh, that did happen. When we see it happen to some random team, it's, it's always entertaining, you know, I think we laugh and we think that's hilarious, but when it happens to our team, then it becomes a different story. We are grabbing chairs and throwing them at the TV and we're yelling, you know, waking up kids next door. And I mean, we get really, really mad when we think that we are being treated unfairly, right? I think that being, having this perception of being treated unfairly is one of the most kind of enraging things that can happen. Um, when I was a youth pastor in college, I was, uh, I was a small group leader at this big Disciple Now weekend at the church outside of Dallas. And if you don't know what Disciple Now is, it's basically like this long weekend. You kind of start Friday right after school, and it goes until Sunday morning at church. And um, it's just the whole youth group comes together. They have small group leaders. They stay at somebody's house, and they, they, they bring these small groups together, and they, they just do like discipleship stuff. They learn about the Bible. They do fun things. And it's just a whole weekend. And, and so, so um, they found out when I was kind of signed up to be a leader for this disciple now that I was uh, currently, I, been, I was a college football player at that time. And so they gave me this group of junior and senior guys that were all athletes, and they all thought they were like really something special. Um, and I think initially what they told me was like, hey, you can relate to me. You know, you're all athletes or whatever, but really it was that they didn't, nobody could really control this group of guys. And so they thought, you're big. Like, you can wrestle them if you need to or something like that. So they put me in charge of this group of boys. And all weekend, 
I, I just, I, I try to stop, I try, I try to make these guys stop being so competitive with each other. Because all the time, it didn't matter what we did, whether we were like playing a game, game obviously it was cutthroat, it was, you know, whoever one was the best. Even when we were like reading the Bible, you know, you know somebody like wouldn't know a Bible version, then other guys just shame it. You know, like, come on, bro. I mean, it was really, really bad. It was really bad the whole weekend. And it was funny because the theme of the weekend was actually about servant leadership. It was really opposite to the way that these guys were acting. They were talking about how Jesus, instead of leading through like anger or coercion or fear, he actually led through service. And so, and so we, we talk, talk about that the whole weekend, and it's really cool, it's really beautiful, because the, the guys start to get it, and they, they start, start to realize, like, oh man, it's actually better to serve people, to love people. And then they all got to except one kid, and that kid's name was Jordan. And Jordan caused problems constantly. Even before everybody started getting it, he was the worst. And then if everybody started to get it and understand the servant leadership stuff and stuff, he didn't get it. He just, he just didn't. didn't. I think he refused to get, get it because he loved this, this competitive nature. So, so like I said, the weekend always culminated with Sunday morning church, and then oftentimes you go out to eat one last time with your small group, say goodbye to each other, and do the whole thing, and then you leave. And so, so after church on Sunday, we're all standing in this um, line at this barbecue place, and Jordan is, is still being Jordan. He's making fun of the other guys. He's like literally cutting everybody else in line so that he's first. And then everybody's just like really tired of it at this point. The other guys have had enough. So, so Jordan's up at the front of the line and he's looking at the menu on the wall. And in big bold letters at the bottom, it says free Wi-Fi with every meal. Okay? And you got to remember this is like 2007, 2008. So Wi-Fi was not really a big thing yet. And so, and so this barbecue place is obviously like, you know, like, hey, we got a Wi-Fi system, you know, we got a router, it's incredible, it's put on our menu, big and bold. Everybody wanted to get our barbecue because we get free, free Wi-Fi with every meal. And then you got to remember that because it's so early on, some people don't know what Wi-Fi is, right? And so Jordan's in front, he's acting like kind of a jerk, like he always did. And he's reading them and he's deciding on what he wants, and he turns around to us behind him and he says, Hey, what's Wi-Fi? And we were like, what are you talking about? What's Wi-Fi? And he's like, look, it says free Wi-Fi with every meal. What is Wi-Fi? And I think if it had been another kid, the other guys would have been like, oh, man, it's Wi-Fi. You know, like, it's internet that you get. You can, like, use your computer or your phone or whatever. But because Jordan had been so mean the whole week, one of the guys basically is like, I don't know, but it sounds good. So let's just order and see what it is, all right? And so, and so Jordan's, Jordan's like, Ty, all right, I'm going to order, order. I'm going to get a meal, and I'm going to get my Wi-Fi with, with it, right? And, and so we all, all sit, we all order, and we all sit down, and a few minutes later, like I said, Jordan was the first one to, to order, so he was the first one to get his name called up, and he gets his food. And he literally comes back down to the table, and he just goes, where's the Wi-Fi? I got my barbecue sandwich, I got my fries, I got my drink, I got no Wi-Fi on here. And so he's so mad. And so we're all, like, egging him on, like, Jordan, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it says on the sign that you get free Wi-Fi, where's yours? And so he's like, I'm going to go talk to him. And we're like, you should, go talk to him about it. And so he brings it up there and does the same thing, goes back up to the counter. I didn't get any Wi-Fi with this, okay? And it says it right there on the sign that I'm supposed to get Wi-Fi with every single meal. He's livid about it. And we mercilessly made fun of him for the rest of the meal. And I don't think he ever understood servant leadership, but... I, I felt, felt like, like it was partially, partially my fault. fault. Um, um, but, but the, the thing, thing about Jordan, Jordan, I mean, he's, 
he's, he's such, such a punk, punk kid, kid right? right? And you, you know, know people like this. But, but at, at the, the end, end of the day, day after, after that, that meal, meal, I still kind of felt for him, you know? You know? Because it's, it's really easy to get angry when we feel like we're being treated unfairly. And we found out later that Jordan kind of had a home life where he never really got like the attention that he wanted from his parents. And he never really got praised for anything that he ever did, no matter how good he was at sports or academics or in life. His parents never really said like, hey, great job, son, we're proud of you. And so his whole life was just about competing and trying to be the best. And when he felt like he was being treated unfairly, he reacted in this angry way. And so many of us do that same thing. And on some level, it's, it's a good thing, right? Like, we should always strive for fairness. We should always expect other people to be fair with us. We want to be fair with people. I think that's a, that's a kind of a value of our kingdom here on earth, this, this world in which we live, is we, we try to make things fair, but the question we've been asking this entire series is, is God's kingdom the same as our kingdom? So is what we think is fair the same that Jesus thinks is fair? And that's the story that we're going to look at this morning. So let's see what Jesus has to say about fairness. Matthew 20, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early into the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and then sent them into the vineyard. So let me pause here and kind of explain some of these things. So the people listening to Jesus, first century Israel, would have been very familiar with this idea of vineyards, right? So there are basically two types of land in Israel. There were large plains like flatlands where you had agriculture or you grazed livestock. And then there were hills, hilly places where you basically had vineyards. And so almost every part of Israel, kind of the, the undeveloped land, was either plains with livestock or agriculture, or it was these slopes with these huge vineyards. And so being a vineyard owner required a lot of work. And it was a thing where grapes were planted in the spring, and then they were harvested near the end of September. And, and harvest was this really, really hectic time because you had to get everything out. You had to get all the crops out before the rains came again. And so a lot of times when harvest time came around, vineyard owners would go into the town and hire day laborers to go help them with their vineyards. It was hectic time. It was harvest time. They'd hire as many as they could, go out, bring it all in before the rains came again. And so basically everything is typical in this story. This is a very normal thing for a landowner to do, to go to the marketplace. There would be people there who were unskilled laborers, and they would say, hey, I need five guys to come and work in the vineyard. This is very normal. But Something very abnormal about this story is the pay. So it says he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. So a denarius was a silver coin that was actually equal to one day's wage for a Roman soldier. So if you remember at this time, Israel was governed by Rome. So they used Roman money, Roman law, all that kind of stuff. So a denarius was one silver Roman coin that was an entire day's wage for a Roman soldier, a highly skilled person who worked for the government. And so if you were standing in the marketplace as an unskilled laborer, you might hope to make a denarius like in a week, not in a day. And so when this vineyard owner, this landowner comes up and he says, hey, I need five workers and I'll pay you a denarius for the day, these people would have jumped at it. It would have been an incredibly generous wage for them. So they go off into the vineyard, verse three. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. 
He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. It's, it's interesting that the parable, um, it doesn't say that the landowner goes back into the marketplace because he needs more people. It says he went back into the marketplace um, and he just saw others standing around. And so I think it really speaks to the kind of the generosity, the compassion of this guy. Not only did he hire the first crew with an extremely generous wage, he hired the second crew when he didn't really even need them. He just saw them standing around needing work, and he said, why don't you come and work in my vineyard? It's not the only time he does it. He ends up doing it a few more times. Verse 5, he went out again about noon and about 3 in the afternoon and did the same thing. About 5 in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Five different times this landowner goes to the marketplace to hire day laborers. At five in the afternoon, when he hires the last group, you gotta realize the workday is basically over at this point. So have you ever heard of the expression, the 11th hour, like something happened at the 11th hour, it's like a last minute thing? That's where this expression comes from. The, the days were 12, the workdays were 12 hours long. They worked from six in the morning until six at night. So when he hires that first group of laborers, they have a whole 12 hours ahead of them. When he goes back at five o'clock, there's one hour of workday left. That's all. It's literally the 11th hour of work. But he hires them anyway. And after he hires this last group, the day ends and it's time to pay the workers. Verse eight. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Wow. So the ones that got hired with just an hour left in the workday, the ones that got hired at the 11th hour, the last minute, standing around all day, they only worked for an hour, they get a full day's wage of a Roman soldier. Remember that a denarius would have been a good wage for a day labor for an entire week. They get it for one hour of work. Now, can you imagine what the first guys are thinking when they see this? I bet they're excited, right? Because they think, oh man, this, this landowner, he's more generous than I even thought he was. We were gonna get a denarius for one day of work, which is crazy, but now these guys got it for an hour, so what are we gonna get? We're gonna get like five, 10 times that? If he's paying an hour, if he's paying denarius an hour, that means we're gonna get 12 denarius for one day of work. But that's not what happened, verse 10. So when those, who, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Of course, the workers who had to spend 12 hours working in the hot sun up on the slopes of this vineyard, hectically trying to get all of the crop in before the rains came, of course they're mad. Put yourself in their shoes. You worked an incredibly hard 12-hour day, and the group of guys that gets hired one hour before quitting time, literally probably works like 45 minutes, comes in and makes the exact same money as you. That's not fair. That's not fair. So they begin to grumble. They begin to complain. They basically look at the landowner and say, this isn't fair. We've worked the whole day. These guys have worked an hour. They shouldn't be making the same 
as we do. So the landowner responds, verse 13. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired the last, the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So this statement in verse 16, it's not really all that easy for us to understand. And it's so vital to this particular story that not only does this parable end with that phrase, it actually begins with it as well. Let me show you what I mean. This story is preceded by the famous encounter between Jesus and the rich young ruler. Many of you know the story. Jesus is with his disciples. This rich young ruler comes up and he, he says, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you've got to keep all the laws. You've got to be perfect. You've got to do all these things. And the rich young ruler says, I've done this since I was a boy. I've kept every single law, 630-something laws. I've kept every single one of them. What else do I lack? And Jesus says, go and sell all your possessions. Give them to the poor and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler walks away with his head down because he was very wealthy. And he didn't want to do that. And he walks away dejected because he didn't want to choose Jesus over his great wealth. And as he leaves the disciples start wondering about their own place in God's kingdom. Unlike the rich young ruler, they've given up everything to follow Jesus. They should certainly have earned some favor in the eyes of God, right? So verse 27 of the chapter before, Peter says, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. What then will there be for us? So Jesus responds by telling them that, Everyone who follows Jesus will receive a hundred times as much as they lost. They will have eternal life and all these things. And then Jesus says that same confusing statement in verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The next verse, that's Matthew nineteen thirty. The next verse, Matthew 21, begins the story we just read. So literally, a story bookended by those statements. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. Tells the story, and again, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. You have to realize to the disciples, this is not good news, okay? You might ask yourself why. It's because they were first. They were the first guys who left everything for Jesus. They were the first ones to believe he was who he said he was. They were the first ones to follow him. They were the first to dedicate their lives to him. They were the first. And now Jesus is saying the first will be last. Conventional wisdom said that in the kingdom of God, these 12 guys would be the highest under Jesus. They were first. They left everything. They led the way. The church literally began with these 12 guys. And yet, that's the opposite of what Jesus says. He says, you think you're first, but you're actually last. And the people who think they're last, they're actually first. That doesn't seem fair, does it? These guys left everything to follow Christ. They were first, and now Jesus is saying that the first will be last. That's not fair. But here's the thing. The kingdom of God isn't fair. The kingdom of God isn't fair. And that's what Jesus means when he says the first will be last and the last will be first. The disciples 
and the first round of day laborers are complaining that what they're getting isn't really fair. And Jesus is saying, you're exactly right. It's not fair. And that's a really good thing for you guys. Because let me tell you what God says a fair wage is. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's fair. That's what the Bible says fair is. We've all messed up. We all fall short of God's requirement for perfection day in and day out. The only thing we've ever earned are the consequences of our sin. What the, what's the fair wage for the disciples, the day laborers, and every single person in this room? Death. But thank God that his kingdom isn't fair. And thank God that Romans 6.23 doesn't end with that statement. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the whole point of this story. And incidentally, it's the whole point of the gospel. Gospel simply means good news. That's all that word means. Gospel means good news. And the good news of grace is that the kingdom of God isn't fair. Grace, by its very definition, is something that we don't deserve. Grace simply means unmerited favor from God. When God gives us grace, when scripture says that God gives us grace, he's giving us his unmerited favor. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We don't deserve it. It's the opposite of fair. So follow me here. The gospel of grace, that phrase literally means the good news of our unfair favor from God. That's what the gospel is. It's the good news of our unfair favor from God. Isn't that beautiful? Thank God that he and his kingdom aren't fair. If God was fair, our wage would be death, but instead we get the unmerited blessing of eternal life with Jesus. But just because it's not undeserved, excuse me, just because it's undeserved, just because it's not fair doesn't mean that it was flippantly given to us by God. God's unfairness toward us isn't cheap. Because here's the thing, even though God isn't fair, the Bible makes it very clear that God is just, okay? And that's kind of a hard concept for us to wrap our minds around, but I'm gonna try to do my best to explain it. You see, fairness and justice are different. Fairness is all about what is deserved, okay? So Jordan felt like he deserved the Wi-Fi, right? And he got really mad when he didn't get it. Those basketball coaches deserved different calls. The laborers deserved more money. They'd worked the whole day. Fairness is about what is deserved, but justice is about what is required. Okay? Fairness is about what's deserved. Justice is about what is required. There's a story. Um, it's this guy named Shamil who led a resistance group against Russian invaders in Turkey during kind of the mid-19th century. So he led a group of about 4,000 men, women, and children who were constantly on the run um, from these Russian invaders and constantly staging these kind of guerrilla attacks. And what they ended up being, honestly, was kind of the last line of defense for Turkey at this point in their history. It's 4,000 people led by this guy named Shamil. And because they were always moving around, they didn't have much time to, to collect supplies and to grab food and water and things like that. So that meant that the little food they were able to carry with them was absolutely vital. 
They had to keep it safe. They had to keep it rationed or they wouldn't make it. But as you can imagine, 4,000 people, as they lived life like this for a few weeks and even a few months, they started to get hungry. They started to get upset. They missed their old lives where they just had meals and food and normal things. Now they're on the run fighting all the time and food is rationed and they're not feeling great. And so in the middle of the night, food starts to disappear from the tent where it was kept. People start stealing from it. And this actually became such a problem that it threatened Shamil and his group's entire mission against the Russians at this point. And it got so bad that Shamil decided he instituted this new law that anyone caught stealing would have to endure 100 lashes from the whip. And just a few days later, the very first person was caught stealing. And it was Shamil's mother. Shamil's own mother, old and frail. And Shamil knew that she couldn't endure the hundred lashes. She wouldn't make it through them. And so Shamil actually goes away. He locks himself in his tent for three days. And just thinking about what to do, he's torn because he knows that justice is required, but he knows that to hand it out means that his mother doesn't make it. So after three days, he returns and he brings his mother in front of all of the people and he ties her to this whipping post. And she, she's crying and, and she knows that she's about to die and all of the people are around and, and they're waiting and Shamil like, can't, even, he can't even look at his mom at this point. And the guy with, with the whip comes up and, and he pulls it back and he's about to give Shamil's mom her first lash. And Shamil yells, stop. And he runs over in front of her and he wraps his arms around his mom, around the whipping post. And he says, okay, you can go now. And arms around his mother, Shamil took all hundred lashes for her. She didn't feel a thing. One hundred lashes were required for justice to be served. And it would have been fair for Shamil's mom to get them. But Shamil took her place. Justice was still served, but it wasn't fair. The wages of sin is death. That statement is an absolute truth. The only just requirement for our sin is death. And the fair thing would have been to make us pay for it. But that's not what happened, right? God sent Jesus to pay the price for our sin. He saw us about to receive that unbearable consequence, something that he knew would end us, something that he knew we couldn't endure. And instead of letting fairness happen, he came and just like Shamil, he wrapped his arms around us. He took our place. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't fair, but it was just. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was an atoning sacrifice. He died the death that we deserved. He died the death 
that justice required. And then he did what none of us ever had the ability to do on our own. He actually beat death, rose from the grave. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus freely offers eternal life to us. Without prejudice, without preference, everyone who enters the kingdom of God receives the full measure of his grace. It's not fair. We don't deserve it. We deserve death, but we get life. We deserve judgment, but we get grace. That's true no matter how long you've worked in the kingdom. Think about it like this. The thief on the cross next to Jesus spent his whole life running from God, spent his whole life breaking laws, causing havoc, and yet seconds before that guy dies, he looks at Jesus and he says, I believe you, and I need your help. That guy is in the exact same place as people like Peter or Paul or John who literally spent their entire lives devoted to God and would eventually die on behalf of Jesus as martyrs. It doesn't matter how long you've worked in the kingdom. It doesn't matter if you got hired at 6 a.m. or 5 p.m. You get the same grace. It's not fair, but it's good. It's not fair, but it's good. Eternity with Christ is not a reward for a life of good works. It's a gift freely offered to us because Jesus died the death that we deserved. Thank God that his kingdom isn't fair, right? So what does this mean for us? Well, if you're a Christian and you're a part of God's kingdom, that means that you need to realize you didn't earn that position. That was something that was freely given to you. We have been given undeserved grace from God. And hear me, we need to be distributors of this grace to the world around us. One of our four core values here at Restore is grace. We talk about it all the time and we say, because God has shown immeasurable grace to us, we will lead with grace in every relationship and circumstance. If you're a Christian here this morning, I want you to listen to me. You have already been justified by Jesus Christ. You don't have to work for your justification. You get to work from your justification. That is a radical difference. So understand that in your own life, but also stop being so hard on everyone else around you. Stop holding people. Stop holding people to a measurement that God never used with you. Because it is driving people away from the faith as fast as they can run. God looked at you and he didn't say clean up. He didn't say get better. He didn't say figure it out and then come to me. While we were still sinners, he died for us. And yet so many times we as Christians look at a world around us and we're like, I don't know about associating with that. Uh, Maybe if you kind of got it together a little bit before you came and, and participated with us, or maybe if you did all of these things and checked all these boxes, then you could be a part of our church or a part of the faith. No, that's not what God did with you. Man, thank God he didn't do that with you. God's, God's kingdom isn't fair, but it is good. It is so good. So if you're a Christian and you undeservedly got a free ticket into God's kingdom, stop holding people to a measure that God never held you to. Treat them with grace, the grace that you have been given. We should be distributors of it. 
If you're here this morning and you aren't a Christian, maybe you've been checking church out for a little while. Maybe this is your first time to be here in a long time. Maybe you got hurt by the church. Maybe you were someone that was a product of what I just mentioned. Maybe there was a church or a Christian at some point in your life that you just felt like, I can never measure up to this, what they're asking me to measure up to, and so I'm just gonna go the other way. Whatever it looks like, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've never truly accepted that invitation from Jesus, if that's you, here's what I want you to know. God isn't through calling people into his kingdom. Just like the landowner in the story, God is still visiting the marketplace hour after hour looking for people who understand their need for him. He isn't calling the self-sufficient. He's calling people who understand that they can't save themselves. Have you ever heard that old saying that says, God helps those who help themselves? It's not true. It's junk. It's a lie. God helps those who realize they can't help themselves. When, he, when that landowner went into the marketplace and he saw those guys, he didn't hire them because they were really great. They weren't. They were unskilled. They were just like, I need a job. I'm here. When he went in at five o'clock, those guys that had been standing there all day, they realized that they didn't have what it took. They were like, I don't even know why you'd hire me. I've been standing here for 11 hours. Nobody's even looked at me. And that landowner looks at them and he says, I want you. I want you to come and be a part of my kingdom. If you're here and you're not a Christian, God is not through calling people into his kingdom. If you've been waiting for the right moment to accept that invitation from Jesus, this is it. We're about to sing a song called Come to the Altar. And that song is a really beautiful and simple invitation from God. It's an invitation to come and join the unfair and utterly beautiful family of God. It's an invitation to to come to the marketplace because there's a landowner there hiring people, giving out wages that are undeserved. It's an invitation to come to the altar and see that Jesus died the death that you and I deserved. And now he's offering you the life that you couldn't earn. So stand up with me. This invitation doesn't have any strings attached to it. The laborer's actual work in the vineyard, it was just a blessing of participating in God's kingdom here on earth. They were a part of God's family the moment they said yes and walked toward the vineyard. They didn't have to to do anything before. Like I said, they didn't have to clean themselves up. They didn't have to teach themselves how to work, how how to harvest grapes. They didn't have to do any of that. They just had to be like, yeah, I'll go with you. They just said yes to his invitation. And my prayer and heart for you is that if you've never said yes to that invitation from Jesus, today is the day. As we sing about it, I'm going to be standing in the back in our prayer area right there. And if that's you, if, if, if it's time for you to step out in faith and say, I've been waiting in the marketplace too long trying to find my own work and I need the guy who's just gonna come to me and say, I'll take you the way you are. If you've never gotten to experience the beautiful, good, unfairness of God's kingdom, 
make today that day. I'd love to pray with you. I'll be in the back. And the other thing that I want to say right before we close is that if you are someone who's in that first group, who's a Christian, who's been holding people to a standard that God never held you to, stop, please. You're not hiring laborers who need help and bring them into the vineyard. You're pushing them away. And that's a big deal. And so if that's you and you just want to take a second as we're praying and singing, come to the altar. If you just want to take a second and pray and say, God, forgive me for that. Help me to see people the way you see me. With nothing to add, but everything to love. If that's you, take a time right now and do that. If you're in that first group, I'm in the prayer and I'd love to pray with you. Let me pray. God, thank you for this morning and for your word from scripture. God, thank you that your kingdom is not fair, but that it's good. And I pray that even as we celebrate the fact that it's not fair and remember that all gospel is, is the good news of unfair favor from you. God, I pray that we would not lose sight of the fact that you are still just that there was still a just requirement to be met for our sins. The wages of our sin was death, God, and the fair thing would have been to let us pay for it, but you didn't do that. You sent Jesus Christ, and he paid for it. As we sing this song about coming to the altar and we remember the beautiful sacrifice that Christ made, I pray that you would stir in our hearts, move us to a place where we trust you trust you for the first time. It's in Jesus' name we pray.